Our scripture reading today is uh, from Colossians 3, verse 1 through 17. Uh, it's found in the New International Version is what I'll be reading today. Um, in your pew Bibles, it'll be on page 1,235. Colossians 3, 1 through 17. <clears throat> Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Well, it's good to be back with you this week as we kind of wrap up or maybe wrap up I don't know this message is so important we may do it twice but kind of wrap up this series ordinary people pursuing one extraordinary way and we've been talking about how you know everyone talks about how Jesus left his people his disciples his church with a mission to go and make disciples and and so we know that you know we're supposed to send missionaries and we're supposed to speak up for our faith when opportunities arise and we're supposed to give money and prayer and effort into this mission that he gave for us but one thing that we often fail to talk about is what was Jesus vision for what we would be how we would live what we would look like in other words when we go out and we try to recruit other people to join us what are we asking them to join what exactly are we doing besides this mission? Uh, because surely he didn't save us just to go reach more people for what? Like what are we supposed, what's supposed to be different about us? How are we supposed to be unique? What, what kind of life are we supposed to be inviting people into? And Jesus, when you read about what he said and what his apostles said, clearly had a vision for what the church would look like, for what your life would look like, for what my life would look like. He had things for us to do and be. So, we've talked about this kind of in, in pieces. That we're to be ordinary people. That we're to be humble. That we're to recognize 
who we are, where we came from. We're not better than anyone. It's not about us. It's about Jesus and His glory. And yes, it's about those on whom, to whom we're called to go. It's that mission piece. Uh, and then, last of all, <laughs> maybe, it's about us and, and the life that we're supposed to be living. So, there's, there's a humility that this has to begin with. If we come to the Jesus way and try to pursue it with pride and with boasting about how we are saving ourselves or earning any kind of favor or anything like that, then we're, uh, you know, we've lost before we've begun. We've also talked about how this is something we pursue. This is an ongoing pursuit, a journey, an adventure, a race, a contest. And we are to contend like we're not yet complete. And so that's kind of where we left off. And now we're going to talk about contend for what exactly? It's more than just heaven someday. There is a vision that Jesus has for your life now. And we're going to talk about what that is today. But more importantly, we're going to talk about how you get there. I was, I've been, this has been kind of mind-blowing to me. And so, I'm excited to share it with you. But I've also been kind of wrestling with how to do it. I was going to tell you a funny story about some nuns in a car on a highway. And then I decided that wasn't the best thing to tell you. And you've probably already heard that one anyway. So... I'm going to talk to you about diets, all right? because that's something that most of us have some kind of familiarity with at some point or another, either because of medical necessity a doctor told you to, or uh, just because you looked in the mirror and said, I need to do something, uh, or you stepped on a scale, or whatever. Uh, you've tried a diet at some point, right? I mean, I'm 35, I'm getting ready to be 36 this summer, and I've had already some times where I've been like, ooh, we need to try a diet. Okay, because when I fell in love and met Julie, the scale just skyrocketed and, and I have never recovered from falling in love with Julie. So we have been, we've tried different things. We tried the fruit diet. You remember that one, Julie? We came home with loads of fruit from Sam's and we were just going to eat fruit because, you know, who doesn't love fruit? And they say you can lose weight that way. And so we were like, hey, we're just going to, this is the rule we're going to follow. We're only going to eat fruit. Uh, that lasted a couple days. And we threw away a lot of fruit. <laughs> We've tried counting calories. Anyone tried counting calories? Anyone doing that now? Anyone? No one's brave enough to say. <laughs> We've tried. You, there's Weight Watchers. There's all these different diets that people get on. There's endless lists and names and variations. And 99% and of them give you a list of rules, right? And they say, do this, do this, do this. Uh, basically, you know, modify your eating habits. And, and you will get the results that you want. And 90% of the time, if you follow those rules at all, you follow them temporarily, right? You follow them as long as you can stand it. And then at some point you've had it. <laughs> or something, you know, life throws you a curveball, whatever. And, and you it get derailed. And so then you're back to usual. Anyone had this experience beside me? <laughs> okay. Yes, and so I've had an interesting experience recently. Julie and I were talking about this in the car the other day. We, are, we did like the low carb thing, but it was different for me this time in some ways. You can do the low carb thing and it'd be the same as every other diet, 
um, where you have a list of rules and you follow them. Uh, but for me, really, it was about exploring like more of the science behind what we eat. And I'm not saying that I have it all figured out or whatever. Uh, I don't think anyone quite has that all figured out. But I've learned some things, like, like that one of the big problems with heart disease is that we have so much sugar in our diet that it irritates our, ooh, our heart. <laughs> no, it irritates our, our veins, right? And, and then that causes cholesterol to build up, that kind of thing. But also diabetes, um, the, the type that develops over time, you know, that can come because of the heavy sugar in our diet. And this is just something that we as Americans all deal with and experience. Kids have the toughest time with it, right? Because their sugar, everything's marketed to kids with sugar. Um, that's slowly starting to get a little bit better, but you know, by and large, it wasn't too long ago it was in the news that they had a big mound of sugar right in the middle of Times Square. Huge thing. And they said this is what a child consumes in a year. It was just mind-blowing. Uh, so I started researching about these sorts of things and I was like, you know, I want to do different. I want to live different. I changed the way I thought about it. I changed the way that I, what I believed about food. Uh, it, it, it even changed some of my wants and desires. Now, listen, I'm not like a finished product on this deal, right? A, a really good home-cooked brownie is still really tempting for me, <laughs> and I would, I would eat it right now. But there's a lot of things that I used to want and eat that I don't want and eat anymore. I don't even want it anymore. I used to want it. I don't want it anymore. It, my mind has begun to be changed. Not just by learning information, but by internalizing it in a way that I don't think the same way anymore. And I, and I don't even feel the same way anymore. Sometimes the Christian life is a lot like a diet. And most of us approach it the same way we approach diets. And most of us have the same results that we have with our diets. We read passages like the one we read today and are going to study today, and we see a bunch of rules. And we treat those rules as checklists. Just like we'd say, don't eat more than this many calories today. And we try and make it happen. And we try and modify our behavior to be holy. And when you look a little closer at Scripture, and especially if you look a little closer at what Jesus said, you have to pay really close attention. I, I've missed it for most of my life, I think. So if you've missed it, don't feel bad. But if you really pay attention, you're not being given a checklist. And you're not being asked to do behavior modification. You are being asked to change your mind and to change your heart. To change the way you think and feel and view things. Now that may sound impossible, but it's not. Chances are you've already done this in some areas of your life, just like I've done it a little bit with food. There are some things that you used to think and feel and do that you don't think and feel and do anymore because your mind and your heart have been changed in that area. 
So we can't say that it's impossible. And sometimes, you know, it's a real easy thing that we do where we say, uh, well, the Christian life, this whole idea of holiness and the things that Jesus taught, it's a nice ideal, but we know we're not going to reach it until we get to heaven. I mean, that's just, it's kind of, you know, we can give it a good shot, but really, but <laughs> that's not the way Scripture talks about it. And I believe that holiness or sanctification or this extraordinary way, whatever you want to call it, is possible now by the power of the Holy Spirit alive and at work in you partnering with you to change the way you think to change the way you feel to change your way of being and doing and living from the inside not by checking off a list checking off a list that was the old covenant and the old law. In fact, the passage we read today, complete with its lists and things that you think of as rules and checklists, was immediately preceded by Paul talking about that old way under the old law and how it was impossible to check off all the check bo the boxes and, and live out all the rules and modify your behavior. It, it failed. It served its purpose, and no one could live up to it. And that's why constant sacrifices were required and so forth. And so he writes Colossians chapter 3 to fill us in on the secret to being changed, to living this extraordinary way. This is just one passage of many you can find both in Jesus' teachings in the Gospels and in the Apostles' teachings and letters written to churches in the early church. That if we have eyes to see and ears to hear, we'll realize what they're saying and what they're not saying. We know from Colossians chapter 2 that Paul is not giving us a checklist to modify your behavior by human effort. We can take that option, that interpretation, off the table. So let's dive in and see a little bit of what he is saying. And I, I just, let me just say one last thing before we dive into this. If you're a Christian here today, I think this is one of the most important and foundational messages for you and your Christian life that you can hear. So I'm asking that the Holy Spirit would help you to hear it and internalize it. And if you're here today and you're trying to make up your mind about Christianity or the Christian faith, it's an important one for you too, to know what it is you would be signing up for. What is this vision that Jesus has for the church? Paul wrote at the beginning of this passage we read today, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. And we're going to come back to some parts of this. But for right now, I just want to point out that this Christian life that we're called to live is never separated from the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It's never separated from the gospel. Partly because that's where we find our life, both in knowledge and in the power to do it. It is through Christ's death and resurrection 
that you have power for a new life through His Holy Spirit. I love that verse, when Christ, who is your life, appears. A lot of people looking for a life. I remember when I was young and single and feeling lame, I'd say, man, I need a life. (laughs) I need to get a life. For the Christian, Christ is our life. And we just sang that in that song. Hallelujah. All I have is Christ. Jesus is my life. Hopefully we'll internalize that one of these days. It, It is in our identification with Jesus, life, death, resurrection, and in our hope for His coming again, that we can walk and step into a new way of life today. There's the hope that we live in, that one day Jesus will return and bring with Him all those who have gone on before. And anyone left remaining here will also be brought together with them and He will give us resurrection bodies like His resurrection body. Glorious spiritual and physical bodies that don't decay and have all the problems that we have with our bodies today. This is core to the Christian hope. It is foundational since the very beginning. And that life, that eternal life that we hope for in Christ is not something that begins then, it begins now as we identify with Jesus' death and resurrection life and He begins to create something new inside of us which is so much more important than what He's going to create around us. So much more important than the the vessel in which your spirit lives is your spirit and, and who you are at your core. And that is what Jesus wants to deal with. That is the new life that's available to you today. So he goes through all this, reminding us that our hope, that our life, that this extraordinary way is rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ, his life, death, resurrection, and our hope of him returning. And he dives straight from there into these lists that stress us out. Lists about all the things that are the worldly stuff, the earthly stuff, the darkness stuff, the the sin stuff. He calls it different things in different places. Different apostles label it different ways. These are the ways that we used to live, he says. That we're supposed to be casting off, that we're supposed to be dying to this stuff. We're not supposed to do it anymore. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, lies. What a list. And you notice he doesn't really differentiate or prioritize. You know, lust, filthy language, lies, greed, just even plain. These are the things. This is the stuff. This is what it looked like. And then he gives us another list. He says, you know, instead you should have unity and compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience and forgiveness and love and peace. I capitalize love because Paul said that's the thing that holds this list together. It's the glue that holds it's the if you had to pick one word to describe the Jesus way, it would be love. And Jesus made that abundantly clear. When they asked him how to sum up what was the greatest commandment, and he said it's all summed up in love. Love for God and love for others. 
course, your definition of love matters. Do you define love the way Jesus does? That's worth inspecting. And so, thus we have this longer list of what it looks like to love like Jesus. And so we look at these lists, don't we? And it's kind of just overwhelming. So most of us just feel a little guilty and move on. But those of us that maybe are really dedicated think, okay, I need to work on number one this week until I check that box off. And then I would need to work on number two. And while I'm working on getting rid of all this stuff in my life, you know, then I need to work on the other part of the list, the, the good stuff, and I need to add that into my life. And somehow I need to you know, make myself be more compassionate and uh, kick myself when I'm not compassionate. And, and then I, I've got to stop thinking those thoughts and I've got to stop doing that and I've got to stop doing this and I've got, I've got to stop saying angry words and I've got to stop saying that cuss word that I say whenever I'm in this, you know, at work and they're all saying it and, I, you know, and I've got to stop lying to this person and I've got... And so we, right? This is what we do. This is how we tackle it. And every time we approach this list this way, it's like we're living under the old law instead of in Christ. Notice, whenever Paul talks about these things, these, these words, this, these lists, he's describing things. And whenever he says to do something, it's not necessarily those things. Watch, watch what he says to actually do. He says, set your hearts on things above. Set your minds on things above not on earthly things this is what he commanded you to do he didn't command you to go through that list and check each one off and make sure it happens and, and work really hard at it and so that someday you can say I did it <laughs> right did not say it he said set your hearts and your minds on things above not on earthly things and then he starts to talk about the things that we're supposed to set our hearts and minds on and the things that we're not supposed to set our hearts and minds on. He also said, you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. This gets back to what we talked about last week, how this is something we pursue, right? It's a, it's a pursuit. It's an ongoing process that, that we contend like we're not yet complete because we are still being renewed in knowledge in the image of our Creator. Again, He does not say, check this list off, make these things happen. He says, set your minds and set your hearts on these things for you are being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. And we've talked about this a little bit. We're going to talk about it more in a couple weeks. But your creator designed you and this world to operate in a certain way. He created us in his image to reflect God, to reflect him and his ways into his good creation. We got sidetracked, <laughs> to put it mildly. We rebelled against those ways. We said, no, we're, we've got ideas about how we'd like to do things. So part of the process 
is changing your heart and changing your mind. Having it renewed back to the original image. Back to the knowledge that we were first created with, but have lost along the way. This is about changing who you are. When you look at those lists, you see two descriptions of two separate kingdoms, if you will. Kingdom A and Kingdom B. It's, the, it's a description, not a checklist. It's a description of what this kingdom looks like. You know, Kingdom A is characterized by things like. You know, certainly this list is not exhaustive, right? And if all Paul and Jesus wanted you to do was to just modify your behavior, then they would have given you an exhaustive checklist and said, work on it. Make it happen. Here's your 12-step plan. Right? Check them off and you'll be good to go. But it's not an exhaust. It's just a description in general of what Kingdom A looks like. The kingdom of this world. The kingdom of this earth. The way, the status quo. Whatever you want to call it. Things like sexual immorality. Things like greed. Things like anger. Things like lies instead of truth. This is the nature of Kingdom A. And then he describes Kingdom B. Just completely different. Characterized by compassion and kindness and humility. And friends, so many of these things were like, well, of course you'd rather be in Kingdom B. But that hasn't always been the case. Humility has not always been held up as this great virtue in, in world history. Jesus kind of made humility cool, if you will. Humility was not cool before Jesus. The idea of being kind and compassionate rather than looking out for number one. These are not seen as advantageous or, or great ways to live and to be. This is Kingdom B. That was Kingdom A. Set your minds. Set your hearts on Kingdom A. On Kingdom B things, not on Kingdom A things, right? On the things of Christ and His Kingdom rather than the things of this world. We could sum up the Jesus way quite simply. We could sum up our call to live as ordinary people pursuing one extraordinary way by just saying that we will live like Jesus loves. Because love encompasses that whole list of what kingdom be, what Jesus' kingdom looks like. So we can just say, we will live like Jesus loves. And I think we would all get on board with that and say, yeah, that's the extraordinary way. That's where we need to head. So the real question for us today is, if we want to live like Jesus loves, how in the world do we do it? And I think you're beginning to see by now that it has something to do with setting your hearts and setting your minds. That it has something to do with changing the way you think and feel. The way you are rather than just trying to check a list off one at a time. Paul also wrote this. He said, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach 
and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. We're going to talk practically about how you can begin to be changed on the inside. Obviously, I can't tackle the subject in great depth in a few minutes. But we're going to begin that conversation and hopefully get the wheels turning a little bit for you on how you can begin to stop trying to do behavior modification as your route to holiness. As trying to do a list of things and instead begin to have yourself renewed and transformed and changed from the inside out. I'm going to tell you some practical things that you and I can do, but I want to make sure that we're framing it in the context that we left it in last week and in the context in which all these conversations must take place. And that is that the same power that raised Christ from the dead to be our life is now the power at work in us to bring the future reality of the kingdom into the present. Yes, maybe there is a sense in which we will not be 100% perfect until Christ returns. But that life is always, from this moment on, supposed to invade the present. That life that you hoped for in full someday, you are to begin recognizing in your life now. New creation isn't something that waits until Jesus returns. This is abundantly clear. It is to begin in your life now. Eternal life is not something that begins someday. It begins the moment you become a new creation in Christ. And that is clearly something that's supposed to begin now. And it happens by the power of the Holy Spirit. Not by your strength and not by your might so that you can't boast about it. It's something that happens on the inside of you. And when it happens on the inside of you, it's like that whole dieting thing. You're not counting calories anymore. You're not counting carbs anymore. You're living in true freedom from all that kind of stuff. Because your heart and your mind have been changed to the point that you don't even see things the same way anymore. You don't even want the same things anymore. You don't even think in the same patterns anymore. You are literally a new creation in Christ. Your mind, your heart transformed. So that you don't even need a checklist anymore at some point, right? Now the checklist, the lists, they're helpful. Because they give us descriptions. They give us kind of a vision of what we're talking about here. So that we can wrap our minds around, okay, yeah, I can see this is how the world lives and this is how God's kingdom lives and I'm trying to get from here to there. I'm trying to get from point A to point B. But the way that we get there is not by counting the carbs. <laughs> All right? The way that we get there is by changing the way we think and feel so that when you see that brownie sitting in the <laughs> just with the ice cream on top and all that, you're like, 
I don't even want that. I know, you're hungry. Some of y'all are going to skip circles now and go get a brownie. All right. I think we've got, I think we've got that premise, hopefully. So, so let's talk about how we do this. This is about messaging. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. This is about messaging. This is about input. This is about what are you setting your heart and your mind on. This is about what what's going in constantly. Because from the time you were born, the world has been bombarding you with its set of wisdom, with its list that looks like list A, right? Turn on the TV. Open a magazine if you still subscribe to one <laughs> that's paper. Watch the news and hear people talk about their opinions and what should be happening and why. Turn on the radio and listen to music. I don't care if it's country or hip-hop. Listen to it and hear the message that it's telling you. And it is not the message of Christ. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. If you want your heart and your mind to be changed, if you want to begin to think and feel in different ways, if you want to begin to live like Jesus loves, because you have his love so deeply planted within you that you begin to feel the way he feels towards people and to think the way he thinks about things and decisions, then you're going to have to change and I'm going to have to change the messaging. I'm just going to give you a, a radical scenario that will hopefully maybe kind of help understand the point. What if, if someone wants to take me up on this, go for it, but what if today you took your smartphone and traded it in for a dumb phone? And what if today you canceled your cable subscription and your newspaper subscription? and your magazines and you turned off the Wi-Fi and you put the computer away or hey bring it to our youth rummage sale and what if every evening just saying what if every time when you sit down and say where's my phone where's my tablet where's my remote Instead, you pulled out Colossians chapter 3. And you read over it again. This is what kingdom A looks like. 
this is what kingdom B looks like. What if that's all you did for a year? You'd be tired of it. You'd have it memorized. You wouldn't have to read it anymore and pull it out. You'd know it. But more than know it, you would have replaced the messaging in your life to such a degree. Do any of you doubt that you would think differently and feel differently and live differently after a year of that? It's an extreme example of what we're talking about. But if we think that we can input the world's messaging all day, every day, and then come to church on Sunday morning or turn on the Christian radio occasionally and that we can call that letting the message of Christ dwelling among us richly. If we think we can call that dwelling in us richly, I don't think so. Clearly, we are to be in the world but not of the world. I, I'm not, you know, somehow we have to work out the balance of that. We have to know what's going on in the world to be able to respond to it. We don't want to be just a bunch of monks, right? Off in some monastery somewhere. Um, you know, even though that might be the quickest path to having our minds and our hearts renewed. And yet we are called to live in this world and to, and to reach people that are in this world to be able to on some level relate to them and all that. So, so there's a balance to be worked out here. But what I'm saying is we can't just live our lives with the world's messaging day in and day out and every night when we turn on our TV and sit in front of it all night or whatever. I'm not just trying to harp on TV but the whole lot of it. It's everywhere. You don't need to seek it out. It seeks you out every day. So what are we going to do to let the message of Christ dwell among us richly? Paul says, teach and admonish one another. Maybe we need to get together more often and study scripture. Maybe we need to send psalms to each other. Maybe we need to recapture the whole singing thing that our culture is losing. Because most of that that he just talked about is singing together. Because music has a way of letting a message dwell richly within you and among us that nothing else offers. So our singing matters. I would say Christian music can help. But not all Christian music is necessarily giving this message of Christ. That's sad to say, but a lot of Christian music is feel good, pat you on the back, uh, encouragement, which we need encouragement sometimes. But the message that we're talking about here, that we're needing to input and, and dwell in richly, is not just pats on the back, but it's exchanging, it's changing our mind and our soul so that we think and feel differently, so that we don't just feel better today. But we think about things from a whole different perspective, from Jesus' perspective. And so some Christian music is better than others. Is that fair to say? So choose songs and music that, that contain the message of Christ. 
that, that challenge you to think in new and different ways than the world thinks. And let that dwell richly in you. He also says, in everything you do, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And this perhaps is the transition. Like, this isn't just about learning new information. Goodness, we learn plenty of information, right? It's, it's about dwelling in that information and also making the leap of this information must change the way I think and feel and do and, and be. There's a, you've got to have a connection to the way you're living your life. Don't compartmentalize things. The message of Christ is to dwell richly amongst your whole life and in everything that you do so that in everything that you do you're doing it in the name of the Lord Jesus. That means you're conducting your business in His name. Really, you're conducting His business. It's in His name that you go to work. You are representing Him at work. It's in His name that you go to the concert or that you go downtown or that you go to the lake or that you go home to spend time with your family. It's in His name that you talk to your spouse. It's in His name that you handle that rush hour traffic. <laughs> it, taking the message that is dwelling in you and beginning to change the way you think and feel and do and recognizing that it is to flood all aspects of your life. All that you do and say, do in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks. It's hard to be a spirit of thankfulness. It's powerful. If we do these things, I believe we will live like Jesus loves. Let me fill you in on a secret. Jesus did not take on human flesh, suffer, die, and raise from the dead to modify your behavior or to give you a new list of rules. Jesus took on human flesh he suffered and died and raised to new life to completely transform you at the very core of your being and existence. To make you something new. It doesn't happen in an instant, but it begins to happen in an instant. It begins to happen in an instant because what does Scripture ask us to do? How are we saved? By believing. And the very word, believing, means that you have to change your mind about something. Doesn't it? Believing means changing your mind. Okay. To believe in Jesus, you have to believe that there's a God. To believe in Jesus, you have to believe that He created the world a certain way to act and live a certain way. To believe in Jesus, you have to recognize that the ways of this world are killing us and destroying us. To believe in Jesus, you have to believe that God so loved you and everyone else on this world that He couldn't just leave us in that mess, but that He took on human flesh. To believe in Jesus, you have to believe that that God loved you so much that he died for you 
and raised to new life to empower you to change. So from the very outset, to be saved from the mess that you were in, you had to change your mind. And so in an instant, you begin to become a new creation. And now that journey continues in partnership with His Holy Spirit as we change the message that we're dwelling in and begin to think about the things of Christ and of His kingdom. You know another way we could talk about kingdom A and kingdom B? Hell and heaven. These are the things of hell and these are the things of heaven. Imagine for a moment that you had two towns. Let's say Monroe and West Monroe. Divided by a river. And just to mess with you, let's say that West Monroe was characterized by verses 5 through 9. Kingdom A. And let's say that Monroe was characterized this is going to take faith, but just say that <laughs> Monroe was characterized by verses 11 through 15. And that years went by, and, and this was the character of West Monroe, and this was the character of Monroe, and they lived into their, into these patterns for generations. One would be heaven, and the other would be hell. But friends, not everyone in West Monroe would want to go to Monroe. You know that? Not everyone wants to live that way. That way sounds lame. That way means sacrificing what you want for the sake of what others want. And that doesn't sound like freedom. To a lot of people. A lot of us were not willing to sacrifice our selfish desires. And so we cling to verses 5 through 9. And we want to live in that kingdom. And so it is that a lot of us will prefer hell to heaven. This is the life that you're offered, though, if you want it. I mean, really think about the difference if you lived in a place of unity and compassion and kindness and humility. Yeah, you wouldn't get your heart's desire every time you turned around, but then again, I think your heart's desire would be so changed that maybe you would. You imagine a life with less drama, less fighting, less hurting one another. This is the life that's offered through Christ. And I pray you'll take hold of it today. We're going to sing a song in a moment. The greatest thing in all my life is knowing you, serving you, loving you. Let's pray together.
Father, thank you for your better way of life. We admit that sometimes we get pretty enamored with things of this world. We also get enamored with, sometimes in the church, the grace that we're saved by and we miss the holy life that we're saved for. So Holy Spirit, we ask that you create new hearts and minds in us as we allow the word of Jesus to dwell richly in our midst. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.